Hello, and welcome to episode 25 of Airs for Architecture with me, Ambrose Gillick. In this episode, I speak with Dean Hawkes, Emeritus Professor of Architecture at the University of Cambridge, about his book, The Architect and the Academy, Essays on Research and Environment, published by Routledge in 2022, and the second edition of its influential and important work, The Environmental Imagination, Technics and Poetics of the Architectural Environment, published in 2019, also by Routledge. If the environment within the building is a product of a transaction between outside and inside, we are essentially filtering, the term I've used in the past, selecting those aspects of the external environment which are desirable to have in your house, such as a patch of sunlight, or bright natural light, um, a waft of gentle air from an open window, whatever it might be, um, even bird song from your garden and trigger the inside. Um, if, if, if we eliminate all of those, we're depriving ourselves of a century connection with nature, which, which I think is very fundamental to human well-being. A's for Architecture, a podcast about architecture, buildings, urban culture and space. Hello and welcome again to Airs for Architecture. I'm talking today to Dean Hawkes. Professor Dean, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, thank you. Um, um, I think the best way to to, to describe myself is uh, I've been a teacher and researcher and practitioner of architecture for over half a century. And for 30 years, I taught in the School of Architecture in Cambridge. That was from 1965 to 1995, when I moved to the Welsh School of Architecture in Cardiff as Professor of Architectural Design, where I remained till 2002, when I retired and came back to Cambridge, where my wife had remained whilst I was in Cardiff in the house I built in 1991. Um, And I rejoined my Cambridge College, Darwin College, as a fellow and I continue to work now in Cambridge for teaching and writing um, from the, the, the study that I built at the end of the garden of that 1991 house. So what's your 1991 house like? Who inspired that? Ah, um, the need to build a house for two middle-aged people, I think. Um, how to describe it? I tend to feel that when it comes to one's own architecture, um, uh, descriptions are difficult. Um, It's kind of what it is. It arose out of um, our particular needs. Um, Our children had grown up, Mm -hmm. left home. They were of that generation who went to university and didn't come back after university. They went out into the world. Um, so essentially, we built a house in middle age just for two people, both of whom work worked at the time, and um, a place in which to spend the rest of our lives. That's a lovely idea. Then subsequently, of course, after I retired, um, the house needed to be extended a little bit because um, partly because the library had expanded 
to to the point that it wouldn't fit into the numerous bookcases in the house. Um, so I effectively built, as you can see, I, I'm, I'm in at the end of the garden now. Um, I built a bookcase in the garden and wrapped a little building around it. Um, <laughs> in which to put myself as well as the books. I'm glad to see that your shelves behind you are bowing like mine are. It's a, it's a, it's a consistent thing. I, books but do I, this. I, yeah. I was, I, but, but the house, um, you know, it, it, it comes out of my architectural interests um, in the broadest sense. And to some extent, it maybe could be seen as, a, as an expression of those interests. As you know, I've worked for many years on in the area of environment and broadest definitions in architecture. And the house is, might, it might be characterised as a passive solar house. Um, this morning, um, we had breakfast in a, a, a tall bay window facing south um, with the temperature at three degrees outside, sun shining, and no heat in the house. That sounds pretty... But it's pretty... more than a technical object. It's it's a house. Yes. Well, I, the reason I I ask that, as I was looking through this morning, I was looking through the re-edition of the environmental imagination, which we're going to talk about. And in the, in the news section on Louis Barragan... Mm-hmm. Um, in the postscript of it, you have a quote from Louis Kahn talking about Barragan's house in Mexico City, and yes, he says yes. he's not. His uh, Kahn says about Barragan's house, his house is not merely a house, but house itself. And yes. I was just wondering, is your house house itself? Um, I mean, yes, yes. I mean, it was built as a place in which to live. Mm not as a piece of architecture. Uh-huh. Um, it may be a piece of architecture, but I think that's for other people to judge. Well, this is quite interesting. So it goes into this this thing around Louis Barragan because you, you document the way that it shifted over time. You know, it's a perfect piece of architecture that has been shifted and lived in. Mm. And I think that that's uh, really interesting. But yeah. I want to come... So obviously, The Environmental Imagination is an important book and it's a beautiful, beautifully written book. Um, and in a way, it's a little bit controversial, I suppose, in that you habilitate the masters of modernism through a perspective of environmentalism, which I was reading the Architects' Journal yesterday, and they talk about net zero, and there was a there was an article saying less than 50% of architects have designed a net zero house in the last year or a net zero building or something Mm -hmm. which was seen as being a bad thing Mm -hmm. and it raises all sorts of interesting ideas but none of the buildings you're talking about would be able to in your book uh, would be able to describe themselves as net zero and yet you define them as environmentally environmental architecture mm-hmm. and I just perhaps wanted and, and then you just also use the word you described things as environmental in the broadest sense so I thought perhaps we could start by you talking about how you understand and position in the environmental within architecture yes 
Um, I think the way that I view this word um, is that, and I think I say somewhere in that book that maybe a provocative um, statement that all architecture of substance, from my perspective, is by definition environmental. <clears throat> by that, I think I mean that buildings stand in climates and they seek to modify that climate in order to create conditions within where human activity can take place, can even flourish. Mm. So in that sense, um, throughout its entire recorded and before its recorded history, building, maybe we shouldn't go into that distinction between what is architecture and what is the building, because we come down to bicycle sheds and Lincoln Cathedral, if we're not careful. Um, but, um, but, 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 fundamental purposes a building is to provide shelter mm. and, and shelter is, is, is modifying environment. So in that sense, all architecture is, 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 is environmental. Mm. Um, but what, 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 what engages me particularly is how that primitive, and of course, Logier comes to mind in terms of representation of the primitive art as an environmental enclosure. Um, that uh, I'm particularly interested in those architectures throughout history and to the present where the, 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 the form and materiality of the building are the primary means by which that transaction between outside and inside is 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 is, is organized mm -hmm. if that makes sense yeah um so um looking at the range of buildings in um the environmental imagination there's some slight differences between first and second editions i'm certain you know there, is, there are some extra pieces in second edition, and, a, and sadly, a few pieces, a few, a few, a few, a few uh, architects were omitted in the second edition because of questions of space, length of the book, and so on. Mm -hmm. But the, the, the first edition um, ranges very. I I I I I, I like this. The from from Sone to Caesar. So I had architect beginning with S, and. Um, alphabetically from alto to zumtor thank goodness for zumtor so we get the complete alphabet um but um all of the all all all, all of those architectures actually kind of uh, in the work of those architects essentially maintains that transaction where the where the, the form and materiality of the building are the primary elements of of, of modifying climate mm. and it seems to me that in relation to the question of, of net zero, that that is still the, 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 the question at the heart of how we design net zero buildings. 
we minimize the con we we, 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 we we control that transaction between in and out primarily in order of course to reduce heat loss in order to to reduce the amount of heat we need to supply into buildings mm. in some cases in some climates of course to to control questions of excessive heat and, and mm. therefore to avoid the need to cool buildings but it seems to me in in, in the in, in in the context of this whole debate about about uh, about the environmental impact of buildings the fundamental question to hold on to is that the fabric of buildings and the, 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 the architecture, not to speak about the mechanical systems, is really a very recent arrival in the, in the development of building as environmental mm-hmm. objects. Um, the, 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 it, is, it is that kind of central question of, of, of the nature of the built, the built piece of it that, 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 that offers the... the the, the 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 clue to how we proceed towards these these new objectives. I I I I've I've from time to time suggested that that, that, that if if you can represent architecture conceptually a building conceptually as a kind of equation, and um, um, and you you have a number of variables in your equation, and as circumstances change, you add a new variable. The variable of net zero is a new one to put into the equation of architecture, mm-hmm. if I'm making any sense here. And but but that it doesn't fundamentally change the question. There's some people who say, well, it changed it completely, and we abandon all of that kind of earlier development and history of architecture, mm-hmm. and we have to start afresh. Mm. But I tend my, my, my feeling is that the, the answer to the future lies in that history, mm. but, but transformed by engagement with a new question. And of course, by the potentiality of new technologies, new material science, new understanding mm. of all of these questions. Yes. So, can yeah, I say a little something about, about 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 the house that you can see through the window of my study? Um, um, when we built it in 1991, it was built as a passive solar house, but it but but but, but it was built, as I said earlier, as a house. That's mm. what it is. It's a house, um, but it was built. Um, with U values of less than 0.2 for the entire envelope. Mm-hmm. Um, it only has um, standard double glazing. Triple glazing and selective coatings on glass were not commonplace then. It was built on a very tight budget, incidentally. Um, inflation has changed, but, but, but the tender uh, the, te- the, the, the tender price was exactly seventy thousand pounds. For how many so square meters? Eight. Every time I, I calculate it, I get a different answer. Um, it's just under a hundred square meters. That's very good. Yes, but very good at that at that time. But that's enough, that's that's perhaps something we should set aside. Um, but 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 the, the the point I'm making is you know the the the, the um, the house was high performance, mm. not net zero 
Peterborough, of course. That wasn't that wasn't that wasn't on our agenda in 1991. No, that question. Reduction of energy consumption was in the, in in the interests of the of, of 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 the planet. We were concerned about that. In the 1980s, I was a member of what was then called the European Passive Solar Working Group, mm. which was a group of people from all the con- countries of then countries of of Europe, 13 countries. How that's changed. Um, that, that led to the production of the European Passive Solar Guide. As a handbook to teach the profession how around across Europe to to to, to design with with energy saving in mind. Mm. So it's part of all of that movement. So the the idea that you seem to be expressing. So this comes to the first sort of provocation that I sent you. The idea that you you seem to be suggesting, which I like a lot, by the way, is that. That, that whilst we do have technologies to mediate the environmental performance of the interiors of our buildings, the ideal would be um, to return to an architecture of pure enclosure unaided by mechanical systems. That would be the sort of yeah the perfection of the of the of the art of architectural product uh, architectural form and architectural making as you described this you know sitting drinking having your breakfast this morning in your bay window without you know when it's three degrees outside and and you don't need heating on the inside. Well, incidentally in my dressing gown oh well there you go <laughs> it's a very different experience to my house which is incredibly <laughs> leaky uh very nice um so so this idea is that because you talk about it in the book, you talk about this idea of s- served and um, servant spaces within house- houses and you uh, uh, within buildings, and you and you describe the way that technology and technological understanding has informed architecture a great deal. But still, mm. I get the sense in the book and in the way that you describe these great pieces of architecture, and you see this very much in Zverfen's work at Headmark and um, perhaps also in, in Zumpza's work at, at Vals, um, and in Sohn's work where you start. The ideal would be to avoid or, or to forego mechanics. If you are going to use them, then use them architecturally, but the ideal is to not need them at all. Is that right? Am I right? Uh, well, I think... Given the way in which we inhabit our buildings now, mm-hmm. which recently, um, 24-7, um, 365, mm-hmm. might add that as well, um, for, for all sorts of reasons, you know, that ideal is, 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 is rarely realisable. Yeah. Um, and certainly as a global proposition, not. Where you are sitting um, in Kent, I'm sitting in Cambridgeshire, and um, you know we have to remember there is a, a, a very different world beyond us, um, and these questions shouldn't be localized entirely. Attractive though that might be, mm. um, so I, I think you know um, for, for for most modern purposes, even the level of a house, 
Mm. You know, we occupy space totally differently now from that of our forebears. Um, I've written a great deal about the arts and crafts movement. Mm. An arts and crafts house, a very purish one, say by Bailey Scott, who didn't like electricity in this earlier period, um, you know, would, would be inhabited totally unlike a modern house mm. um, where we, where, where people would simply use the main living space um, in the evenings. Now we dispose, disperse ourselves around our house. It depends on how many members of the family are and so on. Mm. So buildings require. Some the, the, fab, the form and fabric requires some mechanical assistance. Mm. But I think the point is to minimize the, the, de the degree to which they need that mechanical assistance mm. by calibrating the fabric to, 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 to perform better than it has using historic methods. Mm. I'm for advanced methods in every respect, but it seems to me that we could abandon, I mean, we, 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 we we, we, we could achieve all of those objectives in terms of practicality by simply heating, lighting, ventilating rooms mechanically, cooling them if need be. Mm. You could have blind, you could have, you have unwindowed boxes mm. and by mechanical services, we could, we, 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 could, we, we could fulfill many functions, whether it's, whether it's living, whether it's working, whether it's entertainment. And of course, there are some buildings where, 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 which are essentially that. Mm. You know, the trans transformation of many art museums from wonderful daylit spaces to mechanically serviced black boxes, mainly in the interests of the conservation of the works of art mm. and their delicacy, their fragility, and so on, mm. you know, is an, an interesting instance of that. Mm. Um, and and and, and 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 maybe there are many good reasons why some buildings should be like that, but it does seem to me that that, that indicates a you know a kind of disconnection between all of that history of architecture, mm. um, which is a history of us as well, isn't it? Yes, sort of it there, is. there's a there's a a sense in a way where, to me, a lot of this discussion about net zero adopts an incredibly technocratic kind of or technologicalist kind of um, perspective where the only answer is triple glazing and you know meter thick sip panels and and mm -hmm. and there's no space in the discussion for the socio-cultural aspects of environment Mm -hmm. which I find kind of, well, I find very depressing, actually. Um, mm -hmm. And and what I've... You know, also, there, I mean, there is, there is a, 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 another dimension of this, in, in that if the environment within the building is a product of a transaction between outside and inside, yeah. we are essentially filtering, a term I've used in the past, selecting those aspects of the external environment which... Are desirable to have in your house, yeah. such as a patch of sunlight, yeah. or bright natural light, um, a waft of gentle air from an open window, yeah. whatever it might be, um, even bird song from your garden entering the inside. Um, if 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 we 
eliminate all of those, we're depriving ourselves of a sensory connection with nature, which, mm. which I think is very fundamental to human well-being. Yes. There's a great deal of work that goes on, on, on the, about, about, about these kinds of questions, now, which mm. I've participated in to some small degree. Also, and, 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 and so, so I mean, responding to your your comment on the sort of the the the, the, the uh, yeah uh, uh, about us as part of nature, there's a very interesting argument developing about how <clears throat> now humankind is beginning to realise that we are part of nature mm -hmm. against that old process of industrialization and mechanization, which has led us to think that we're separate from nature. Mm. Yes. But I think... And, and, and quite a lot of people are writing about that. I mean, there's a very interesting new book, which I will reach for from my shelves, um, which I attended the online launch of the other evening, which is this book um, by Susanna Hagen, mm -hmm. a, a very interesting writer, called The Revolution, Architecture and the Anthropocene. Yeah. Um, uh, we, 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 she's largely about those questions. Yes. But I, I suppose my question also is, is to do with this idea that, and it comes back to this quote that you make about Louis Kahn's quote on Barragan, that the the way that we produce architecture, we, ha we have to produce architecture that feels like what we intuitively understand to be building, to be architectural. So rather than just trying for it to actually be fully sustainable a building has to correspond in some primitive way in some um <coughs> profound philosophical psychosocial spiritual perhaps even way with some kind of inherent quality so you can produce a net zero passive house and I've seen a number of them in my time and, and gone through them. And they don't satisfy or don't appear to satisfy a kind of cultural yearning for what a building should be. So the, building, mm -hmm. the buildings that you describe uh, in your book, the way that you describe them, is really about communicating how these buildings correspond to this, you mentioned Logier, this idea of the ideal primitive basic environment mm -hmm. and i think mm -hmm. that that's a really interesting idea that you that that you're trying to you're trying to bring together these what seem to be competing and perhaps pulling apart spheres of the technological approach to architecture and environment and then the people that you know i suppose only think about culture I, I can't think of who that might be but 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 challenging i suppose the eco um ecotechnic approach mm -hmm. by imbuing it with a cultural language a cultural historical language mm. I think, yes i'm 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 wondering how how 
to, to respond to that apart from <laughs> simply agreeing with you. <laughs> <laughs> you can. <laughs> Um, I, I don't suppose there is. I, I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to kind of pick around in the idea of if what of what I'm getting from your work because I think what what you do, what this book does, and what is so important about it, is sort of justifying in a way the modern the the great modernists. Increasingly, they're slung aside as being remnants of colonialism or remnants of. Um, imperialism or, or um, unenvironmentally sound. And I, th I like the way you habilitate them or rehabilitate them into a kind of contemporary discourse around sustainability and environment. I mean, in a way, I think somewhere in one of your provocations, you, 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 you allude to this. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't really write about great modernists in, in a kind of independent central sense of this. I mean, I, the, only, the only modernists in the strict sense over there are, are, of course, Corbusier and Mies in an essay which which compares and contrasts in a way um, their, 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 their different approaches to questions of environment in this broad sense which I attach to, to, to the term. Um, and, and I think you, you make, in your provocations, a, a, a very interesting kind of challenge to me, really, in, 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 uh, this question of the, of the, the other tradition, mm. um, which um, I think you correctly kind of um, suggest is, 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 is where, where my heart lies, mm. um, as opposed to, as it were, that kind of canonical modernism of 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 of, of those those pioneers. Well, you know what what, what the Spitzens later in that amazing edition of architectural design called the heroic period. Yes. Um, but 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 then we have you know, we we have this notion of the other, which comes from Sandy Wilson's book, the other tradition of modern architecture, mm -hmm. and of course the. Yeah, there is a kind of postcode connection there, <laughs> Cambridge Cambridge connection, and that, you know, I, I find that book a very compelling book, mm. and 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 but 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 he kind of grows out of a kind of common ground. Now, when I was at Manchester in in, in the fifties and sixties, in a way, we that was a period still of of, of the architectural heroes. Mm. As students, um, long before Smithsons wrote that wonderful, made that suggestion of the heroic, um, but um, my, my 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 recollection is the way yeah, there were there were two there were two we, we were taught as modernists. There's the presupposition of architecture education in the fifties that was modern architecture was what there was, and that. And there was, and it addressed questions that were important in society. It, there was still a sense of post-war reconstruction. Um, there was there was a job to be done. There was housing to be built. There were schools to be built. My studio projects were houses and housing and schools and and, and, and socially necessary projects of that kind. Mm. 
My final design thesis eventually was an opera house, and therein lies many other stories. <laughs> but 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 but, um, but 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 that 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 was still. But 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 uh, but this this idea of modern architecture and the book that I I read before I became a student. Um, when I told my mother at the age of fourteen, I decided I was going to be an architect for some reason. Um, the next day, I came home from school, and there on the kitchen table was a brown paper bag in which was a book and she'd been out to buy it to, to the, one of the only two bookshops in my hometown north of England and she bought the only book on architecture that they had which was Jan Richards introduction to modern architecture which kind of defined me before I went to architecture school architecture school um, so so we were modernists and to some extent um you had a choice of how you, what kind of modernist you were to be, and you had Le Corbusier or Mies van der Rohe. Hmm. And I decided I was a Corbusian. Probably in my second year, I did a project for a school with a school hall with a south wall not uninfluenced by Ronchon, <laughs> which which had just been published. That little red book. Ronchal, I think, is, is 57, 1957 now. It was the first year to 56. Um, and um, and that's, how, that's how the school worked. And I had friends who were doing Mesian buildings. Mm. I remember a little flutter with Richard Neutra for some reason. <laughs> I did too. I thought Neutra was deeply interesting, but I never really addressed him in my research. But but then I came to Cambridge. I I, I, I then graduated and worked in a, in practice in Manchester. Then decided I needed there was more to architecture than I than I was I was discovering in 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 a busy fairly big practice in Manchester. Enjoyable that was in many many ways, um, and I then found an opportunity to come to Cambridge to do research on daylight, hmm. about which I knew very little. But um, the school actually advertised for a research assistant in the AJ. And I wrote a letter to Leslie Martin, inviting me to come to talk to him. Also a Mancunian, remember, oh. um, which may or may, may not be uh, relevant. And, and I, I was given the job to come and and, and and study daylight, making abstract models of built forms and studying them under an artificial sky which stood in the back garden of the school. But here, of course, I then encountered that other tradition. Leslie was head of school, Sandy Wilson was a lecturer, Harvey Court in Keyes College um, w w w was built People were talking about Alto. Um, one of the things I did in my day like in research, Leslie and Sandy had just finished the Manor Road Libraries in Oxford, which I think is a remarkable building, um, which had been designed using model studies in that artificial sky before I arrived. And, and when it was finished, I went there with my daylighting meters and measured the daylighting levels in the building to compare with the model studies. So I spent days in that building. Mm. So I, I, this was my ex exposure to the other tradition. Mm. In the built examples by, by 
by, by, by Leslie's office and his associates. And of course, hearing people talk about Alto. Mm. And that developed. And then um, Asplund was part of the conversation. Then Peter Blundell Jones joined the department as assistant lecturer. By that, by that time, I'd become a lecturer. And Peter was talking about Sharoon and Asplund mm. and so on. There was a whole conversation. And so this whole world of that kind of architecture, um, that other tradition, um, became, you know, I, it appealed to me. I recognised this, how different it was in various ways from the modern masters. There was the book, you probably know the book, um, but um, very influential book, probably published in the 50s by Peter Blake, not the painter, um, called Master Builders. Mm-hmm which was Corb, Mies, and Wright. Mm. It was always present. There was this trinity. But yeah. somehow, uh, to, to, to my generation of students, certainly in, in Manchester Art School in those days, Wright was interesting, but he wasn't useful for some reason. Well, he was domestic, wasn't he? Well, late buildings, of course. We knew about the Guggenheim. Mm-hmm. We'd try to see the Guggenheim in some relation to, say, Rochefort, with um, fluid form and so on. Um, but but, but Wright, Wright was there, but, ne- but, but kind of not useful. You know, we wanted, we wanted to hang ourselves, attach ourselves to, 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 to a figure and their work that in some way kind of was useful to what we were trying to do in the studio. Mm in addressing those kind of projects with which we were issued. Yes. Peter Blundell-Jones was my dissertation supervisor at uh, Sheffield. Yes, yes. And, Peter uh, was a great friend and a great loss, of course. Oh, yeah. he's a wonderful man. Absolutely amazing. Yes. Um, yeah. And funnily enough, to, f- to go full circle, my th- dissertation was on Lincoln Cathedral. So there you go. So you've mentioned oh. Lincoln Cathedral. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but no, he was he was an extraordinary, extraordinarily a wonderful scholar. Um, that's a love. That's a lovely. That's a lovely description. A lovely story you tell about that. That that hopeful moment. That and the emergence of a kind of. I suppose a te- a technical analysis of the of the environmental qualities of architecture which you're part of, and your book kind of is part of as well. Um, but in all of it, again, to come back to the second provocation I, 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 sent, I, I sent to you, so th- this idea of dwellingness, I call it dwellingness, that, that, that great buildings and these buildings that you're interpreting in the, in, in the book um, focuses on how they produce sort of sense of place and identity. So how does technology and how does the tech, how does the uh, engagement with the environmental um, context produce a sense of place and identity? Um, and it's a, it, is a, it is a big challenge, isn't it, for modernist architecture? So the greats, the th- you mentioned the three greats, and, and as you say, Frank Lloyd Wright sort of sits side, uh, to the side of the two, Mies and, and Le Corbusier. There is this problem that we still wrestle with, which is this kind of universalizing quality of modernism. 
And the way that technology is a universal thing and the kind of undergirding democratic zeal, emancipatory zeal of modernism is universalist as well. And then this need to be very contextual, very responsive to the environment, um, very responsive to the material traditions and the historical traditions. And how do you feel, I suppose, that those things... Is it possible, I suppose, to, to square that circle? Is it possible to be both modern and, and indigenous, local? Well... Um, or do we have to accept that architecture just doesn't really can't really do it but it can make a good shot at it it can do its best but it's not really a, a framework for doing that oh. I'm thinking how, how it, I, it's a really it's an absolutely central point of course and I and it comes back to this distinction between what I might call high modernism mm -hmm. and that and the it's universalist tendency. Mm -hmm. I mean that statement of Corbusier in the Buenos Aires lectures, we can we will build one house for all climates mm -hmm. is um, which of course he never did. No. Um if you if you study his his, his domestic designs, they're beautifully adapted to their specific Milieu, mm -hmm. word he liked to use for, for environment. In, 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 uh, in, in, of course, being French, he would he would do that. But 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 um, but, but, but that 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 such gestion. It's fully born. I mean, the, the, the great triumph of of that line of thought in modernist architecture is the glass skyscraper, mm -hmm. which of course exists in. In, 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 in opposition to the diversity of climates, it exists in every, every, every large city on the planet mm -hmm. for the relatively banal use of office functions, whatever they might be. Um, um, and, and, and of course, it's, it's, it's a profoundly, it profoundly contradicts the notion of net zero. But it's the most successful. I'm a fellow of Darwin College in Cambridge, um, and and so 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 Darwinism and the evolution, used metaphorically even in reference to architecture, is quite attractive. Um, if 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 you're talking about survival of the fittest in terms of number of instances of a particular type, you know that is it. Mm. But how interesting is that, really? How interesting it is, you know, in, in the context of a, a wider discussion of what over the potentiality of architecture. Yeah. It's banal. But it's successful, isn't it? It is, yes. It's like Walt Disney. Um, yes. And, and, and there may be other building types. You know, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, I drove to Milton Keynes for the first time in a long time, and you, you drive... As you come, as you approach Milton you drive for about five miles, surrounded by big sheds with Amazon and other names written on them. Um, 
and their buildings. But it begs many questions in terms of this question of architecture. I mean, if we look at the word environment, um, and, and in, 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 in the book, I um, try to elaborate what, what that, that, that word, you know, and, and I, I do this little kind of, I think I call it terminological reflections subsection. And I, 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 I expand the word to looking for synonyms, which are character, atmosphere, Incidentally, of course, Peter Zumdor wrote a little book called Atmosphere, um, about the same time as the, as, the, as the first edition of the Environmental Imagination was published. Mm. Um, uh, another word, another synonym, tone, mood, and then milieu. Yeah. Um, and, and, and environment is more, you know, it's, it's a difficult word. Because it has all sorts of meanings, but in order to kind of tie it down mm. in, in relation to the particular questions of architecture I'm trying to to, 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 to explore, um, you know, I had to kind of give it these additional nuances. Mm. Um, and, and, it, and when you have that that, that, that expanded de definition, then all then the architectural possibilities open up for you. It seems mm. to me. Um, and 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 um, yeah, I noticed and, and, it. I noticed this idea of ambience. You picking out the word ambience, character, atmospheres. I wrote it down. I was again reading through this morning, hmm. and I thought that was really good. Expanding the scope of this word, environment oh. is is it's sort of like a juggernaut word, isn't it? It sort of yes, yes. crushes through everything and actually has hmm. very little nuance or subtlety to it and 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 in a way that's good it can be ap applied to a lot of context but in another way it's such a big word it's such an opaque word yeah. that anybody can talk about environmental architecture because the word yes. can take any amount of battering but if you talk about atmosphere or ambiance then yeah. mm. you're yes, being yes, you're yes. refining the idea that's precisely the point yes mm. yes that's precisely the point I mean, I mean, coming back to this question, the distinction between the universal and the the the, the specific. I mean, when, when we come to the in quotes other tradition, mm -hmm. and, and it, I, I think it's not insignificant that many of those architects, by no means all, but many of them, are Nordic, mm. beginning with Alto. Asplund, we move to Netherlands, we get Fenn. Um, and when you are in a northern climate, um, um, more northern than bland, agreeable Cambridge, even 52 degrees north of the equator, you go to the Nordic countries, and um, you know, the difference between seasons between summer and winter is so extreme that I think you know it it is very probably almost impossible for an architect certainly in the early and middle years of the 20th century to operate without inherently being alert to the con to, to the conditions of the climate which you're 
pleasing your buildings. Yeah, and, and I think some of the explanation for that distinction between the, the, the between those architects and say Le Corbusier working in out of Paris and moving slightly south. I think wherever you are in France, even if you're in the north, you have a feel, you have a sense that the bottom of that country, its feet are in the Mediterranean, yeah. which kind of conditions and tempers your, 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 your sense of you know, the context within which you're working. Mm-hmm. And there, there, there is a view, there is a, a very, it's very reasonable to suggest that even Villa Savoie is a Mediterranean building, mm-hmm. um, even though the climate of Paris is quite different. But it's totally different from the conditions that apply in, in the Nordic countries. Mm-hmm. I mean, to, to compare Savoie or Garge with the Villa Maria is really interesting. Yes. And, 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 and again, in, 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 in the essay on the other tradition, in, in the book, I juxtapose at the outset that wonderful Corbusian drawing that is incised in, or in the stuttering of the, of, of, of the concrete of the unité in Marseille of showing the sun paths of, of, of winter and summer mm-hmm. against the cross-section of the building with Alto's beautiful drawing preparatory to the Vipuri Library of what he calls magical landscape with many suns. Mm. And that established, I think, something of a distinction between the kind of wonderful platonicness of, of, of Corbusier's representation of the situation of his building mm. and, and Alto's other kind of consciousness mm. and the, uh, these northern latitudes. The sun is different. Is this universal of the sun within which we all under, under which we all operate? Mm. Um, it is it, perceived totally differently in those two representations of it mm. by these by these architects. Yes, I think it's really really beautiful description of it. I've not had the pleasure of going to any Nordic countries actually. Oh. Um, for one reason or another, mm, so it, mm. it all it all exists only in my imagination. Still, which mm. is quite which is quite nice in a way. It's it's sort of like meeting your heroes. Um, <laughs> it's always well, disappointing. Part, part of my research uh, <gasps> for, 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 for for this book, yeah. I spent over a week in Finland in December two thousand and three. Um, when you when you know the first time I I'd been. You know, that far north, um, it's 62 degrees north, 10 degrees of latitude north of Cambridge. It's hugely different. Yeah. And um, on another visit at, in, in around about the, the 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 spring equinox, I on my on my visit to Villa Maria, um, you know, I I I I I understood on a sunny day. Thank goodness. Um, um, I, 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 I understood how you could have that, that, that square pavilion, which essentially represents a corner space of that building, mm. um, 
um, how it could be nine meters deep and, and still be light. Yeah. And it's because the sun is up above the horizon for a long part of the day at the equinox, half of the day, and it's low in the sky. It mm. penetrates right deeply into the space and across it in a way that it doesn't yeah. 10 degrees further south as we are. And this, this, this difference, I mean, the geometry of the sun in a place is so fundamental. I wonder with this, though, that the way, again, something that I picked up in your book and the way that you're describing it now, it's almost as if, and then talk, you talking about the way that working with Leslie Martin and Sandy Wilson and, and the, the kind of... It, it seems to me that there's that they sort of intuitively understood their context. It's like you were saying about the F- France intuitively understanding that its feet are in the Mediterranean. And a French architect of quality like Corb would therefore know how to do French architecture. You know, it would be... <laughs> inherent to, to the you know because of cultural reading and cultural discourse and and just the way that they're raised and so on um and i wonder whether with these great you know alto and aspland and people like that whether there was a, a a real consciousness like a measuring and a kind of technical approach to the way that they designed or if it was an intuitive response to in understood vernacular forms i don't know if you I don't know how we could go about proving that one way or another. I suppose there would be documentation of their measuring of this stuff. I think it's... I'm... I'm... This is is thinking out loud. Um, A risky business. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, But I, I, I think that generation... I'm not just of architects, but of everybody. Um, And even people of my generation, I was born just before the Second World War. Um, um, We lived lives where we were much more in in connection with the variability of climate. I grew up in a house with no central heating. Mm -hmm. And um, we had a living room with a fire and we were all in there. now, of course, we, we, we can temper every, spe- every space of the building. Maybe, of course, in response to net zero, we, 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 we reconsider other ways in which we inhabit space. Mm. But, but the point I'm, I'm trying to make is that with, just by, by everyday experience, you know, one was more in contact with nature. Mm. The, buildings, the buildings in, in, in which Cobutier and Alto grew up uh, we were in, because Corbusier was an urbanist. He lived. He he he, he was a Parisian. Alto grew up in Uvascula. His father was a land surveyor. There are stories in Schultz's big, wonderful three-volume biography of Alto. Of Alto as a schoolboy going in, in the school holidays, travelling around Finland with his father. His father did his work. Encountering that landscape, that climate at all seasons. Mm. Yeah, you have a, 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 people had a much 
greater awareness of the variability of climate. You know, we get into our cars now, everybody has one. Mm. They have climate control. Mm. And we can live in a kind of controlled environment mm. all of our life. I mean, I remember the first time I went to the equator, I, 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 I went to Kuala Lumpur in a January. Uh, I left cold England. I got, I, 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 I got out of the airport coach at Heathrow into an air-conditioned building. I went to an air-conditioned 747, landed at Kuala Lumpur, got to an air-conditioned taxi, which took me to my air-conditioned hotel. And I've been in the same temperature range all that way. Yeah. Then the next, I arrived late at night. Next morning, I stepped out of the front of the hotel and nearly fell over <laughs> with yeah, with thirty something degrees and and uh, uh, heat and ninety eight percent relative humidity. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and and then of course I got into an air conditioned taxi. I went to that. see Ken Yang in his air conditioned office. <laughs> yeah. um, but but yeah, so so we can we can live without any connection. Yeah. And I think you know the the, 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 the that generation generation of architects were very deeply connected. And I think that, and, and that's the connection I sense. You know, I go around on a bicycle just about still. Um, I live in this quasi passive solar house, which I can see again, the sun's come out again. Um, it will be beautifully warm with no with, with no heat on in that main space. Mm. And, um, and um, I mean, I, I, I think you know, the, 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 these architects whose work, you know, I've, I, I've written about from Sohn to Zumtor, from um, chronologically and in the alphabet, um, <clears throat> They're all buildings which kind of exhibit that kind of sensibility to the, the, the potential of, of, of responding to this complex situation and 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 and, and, and bringing it into your building mm. and maintaining a sense of awareness between in and out. Mm. I mean, there's a wonderful drawing which I, I reproduce in the book, but. Uh, but by some tour of the Brigands and Kunsthaus, which you all might see as a kind of bunker. It's a glass building which is then solid within. Mm. <clears throat> but there's a very early drawing he made, which is the plan of the building, which shows the sun coming. The building is almost exactly orientated on the cardinal points. It has south and east, a west and a north facade. And he makes a little drawing in yellow crayon, which is monochrome in the book, sadly, which shows sun from the south, yellow light as arrows, yellow arrows, and from the east and from the west, and none from the north. Mm. And it's fantastically telling about how alert in, in designing an art museum with this need to protect the artworks within, off, mm -hmm. um, uh, but 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 how uh, you know he, he he represents that that engagement 
with this wonderful, universal, but variable quality of the sun around a building. Mm. Yeah, it's really good. It's really, really interesting. Um, it's what I like about your discussion about the other moderns, really, is the way that they kind of... And I was talking to Alan Powers about it uh, on, on this podcast as well, um, about sort of un reinterpreting or re yeah finding new ways of looking at modernism and i think that's what your book does actually it's a real it's a really beautiful way of understanding that contextual you know the, the profound contextual knowledge that these great architects had and, and it's why their architecture is great because it is so and uh, particularly for me so we've mentioned frank lloyd wright and i think and I called his work domestic, and that's kind of what he's his, his great. Other than the swirly building in New York, <laughs> which is great fun, and I've been up it, and uh, mm, it's, mm. it's it's a marvelous piece of urbanism. But his architecture <clears throat> is fundamentally suburban, I think. Perhaps it has a suburban uh, appeal to it, which I quite like. And I I haven't. I don't want to talk about this too much, but one of the things that's popped into my head is that there's this differential. You talked about Corbusier as a Parisian, that is to say an urban man. And then you talked about Alto as a kind of rural man. And I wonder whether that's had a big influence on the way that their architecture emerged as well, with Corbusier coming up with kind of universalist ideas, which are very metropolitan in their kind of identity. Anyway, but I just wanted to go on to the other book that we were... That I got sent from your publishers, right? mm -hmm. the Architectural uh -huh. Academy, yeah. which is wonderful. Again, collection of essays, and it's There's just an also image on the on the front cover. Yes, yeah, it's really nice. Um, you 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 write in there that the division of the discipline of architecture into distinct components of art or science, or architecture and building, is I think you suggest sort of erroneous, problematic. And what your book does is it seeks to cross that divide. And you, you describe the way in which great architects have, yeah, have synthesized the two. Which is possibly where the academic architect comes in and your role as, a, as an academician and a practitioner is, is so interesting. Um, but you also say that this objectivity is a is a way of getting past subjectivity. So this kind of analysis of fundamental, as to quote, fundamental programmatic questions, and the use of rational procedures, is a way of resisting the dangers of subjectivity and stylism. And I wondered, and the question I asked you is, is, is this always true? And are there architects and architectures that are still good despite not doing this? That are just kind of good because they're just great shapes or wonderful to look at? Yes. Um, I think, I'm try, trying to answer this. Um, 
I, th I think it relates to the distinction I make in the subtitle to the environmental imagination between yeah. technics and poetics. There's something, uh, there's, a, there's a parallel here yeah. um, between the objectivity. And I think um, and that follows from, there's a, a, a wonderful statement by Louis Kahn, um, which I use as the epigram to, to the book about the relationship between the measurable and the unmeasurable. Yeah. And that science should realize that what it's really trying to understand is the unmeasurable. Mm -hmm. And that's what it really, really matters. So, and I, I'm, I'm intrigued in this relationship between what we can do measurably, objectively, technically, and all of which are, are terms which are essential in the realization of architecture. Um, in it. Architecture is a technical enterprise. We have materials, we have mechanical systems now, we have all of the, all that kit of parts from which we make buildings, um, all of which are nowadays um, developed by methods of calculation. And of course, great one of the other great transformations between what we've been talking about most of this morning and present day practice is digitization. Mm -hmm. Another whole conversation, which we better not try to, to, to stumble toward. But, 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 um, yeah, and, 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 and since I have built, not enough perhaps, but, 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 but built, and I, I love the process of building, and I love making working drawings, and I love being on site and speaking with consultants in the office and, 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 and working with, with, with contractors on site. Central part of the whole process. But 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 what I identify, sense I identify as where architecture is, is not found there. It, it comes from somewhere else. And this is why I you know use the word imagination. Um, and and it, it, it's the unmeasurable, it's Khan's unmeasurable where architecture is found, not in the measurable of technique. Mm -hmm. techniques or any of that of, of that of that word um i mean a study that i've influenced me a great deal when thinking about this was kenneth frampton's studies in tectonic culture mm -hmm. um, which i think the subtitle is poetics of construction in the 19th century 19th and 20th centuries and, and i I, th I think in that book ken was kind of yeah. addressing the same kind of questions. And I, I, I think I, I, I refer to it in the introduction to the environment imagination as something which, which influenced me. Hmm. I had a wonderful, uh, in, in, the, in the late 80s, early 90s, for three consecutive years, I taught at a summer school at Gladio Institute in Vicenza with Ken Frampton, amongst others. Mm. And one day, Ken and I went by train from Vicenza to Verona to visit Scarpa's Banco Popolari. 
that was a wonderful day you could imagine um and, and it was a time when he was writing the book which is, and that building is in the book and it's mm. also in my book um uh, um uh, so so you know, th th this is a kind of key question um uh, that and and the, the, the specific point you raise about objectivity um i i i I feel, and I, I think that in, in, in the architectures I, I find interesting and try to write about, that um, all of those architects engage with these questions of technique um, in, um, as the foundation of, 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 of the poetics that they, mm -hmm. that, that they, they realize in their building. Yeah. The, the, in, in 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 this new book, I I, I quote this this um, wonderful statement by Francis Bacon, painter, not philosopher, um, um, and and uh, and um, where he wrote, "Real imagination is technical imagination." He's writing about a painting. It is a search for the technique to trap the object at a given moment. Then the technique and the object become inseparable. The object is the technique, and the technique is the object. Hmm. I, I find that absolutely compelling, and I think you know you, it, it is transferable from the realm of fine art, from painting to hmm. architecture. And, and again, I don't think it's something you know that. that these architects I'm interested in um, consciously think about. It's, it kind of, it's kind of, it's inherent in the way in which they think and they work mm. in conceiving their buildings. And it is quite separate, I think, from what we might call formalist or stylist bases from which you might make buildings. I quite like some of those objects. One of the problems with some of those objects, you know, I, I think we could name no names, um, um, but you know, um, when you enter them, I get none of those, I find, rarely find, I wouldn't say never ever, I think that's too, too absolute, but, but, but you know, I don't find these qualities of, of environments but all those other all those synonyms for environment and um, atmosphere ambience media and um, i don't find them there i find they're not the, the many of those architects who make those wonderful objects um aren't interested in those questions they're not where they begin and they're not where they end often mm. A very very good point. That's a very that's a very very interesting way of differentiating them. There's a I suppose in a way there's there's a timelessness about some of the work that you're describing, which supersedes or goes beyond the rather limited universal qualities of mm -hmm. Mm. of of high modernism or or even contemporary. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the object object architects, which I think is um, mm -hmm. really really mm -hmm. wonderful. 
Um, well, I think that's a lovely point to stop on. I've been greatly enjoyed talking to you. Um, I've enjoyed talking to you. Thank you very, very much. I've enjoyed looking at your your insulation. Your <laughs> <laughs> I uh, it's uh, it doesn't do much. Um, well, it you doesn't. You must find that image of. Um, I will try to find the image of 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 of, of Leverance's lair and send it to you. I would like that very much. I would like that very much. I've um it's a wonderful book and I've really it's been a delight to talk to you actually and to hear your um your generosity engaging with my I suppose somewhat incoherent line of co co questioning but I think that's there's so much richness in what you've what you've written and it, it and it, it's very inspiring. So I'm yeah, very grateful. Really enjoyed it. Oh, thank you for the invitation. That was marvellous. Thank you to Dean for the great conversation and for being so game. Please see the podcast descriptions for links to the two books we were discussing and for links to Dean's academic profile and to the talk he's giving online on the 27th of April as part of the Daylight and Architecture programme. And of course, don't forget to like, subscribe, follow and share. A is for architecture with your pals. Cheers. Cheers.